Today we talk family bonds and cross-planetary connections as we chat to Joe of Yuka Baby on Benny Asking People Questions. Today's guest is someone who has really given her life to the musical education of children, not only in the classroom and educational floor, but also in the manner in which she approaches her music. Her music is exquisite in a way that is rarely captured and has the ability to transport the listener to a place that seemingly has forgone its original intentions of entertaining children and rested more on the beauty of the musical journey. It is incredibly unassuming music, yet seems to traverse the lands of enormous and gentle in the same note. It is a pleasure to listen to, just as it is a pleasure to be joined by her today. Um, listeners, I give you Joe Steele of Yuka Baby. Hello, Joe. Thanks for joining me. Well, hello, Benny. Thank you for this lovely opportunity. It's lovely to speak with you today. Thank you. Yeah. Um, look, just off the off the top, I hadn't hadn't listened to a great deal of your music, but having the opportunity to listen to it now was really um I was really generally kind of floored. It's it's really quite beautiful music um, and beautiful in a real classic kind of sense. It's really stunning. I guess for all of us, including me, who, who the hell are you, Joe? And where are you from? (laughs) Where did, where did it all begin for you? Thanks, Benny. Well, that's an enormous compliment. And and it's really lovely to hear you say that you're enjoying the music. The aesthetic of the music, I think, is what you're speaking about. And it it is a really important element to me that my music is presented in the the highest possible way, with the highest possible standard, because I simply believe that children deserve to have music of that quality. Hmm. So um, I'm an early childhood music educator, Sydney-based, and um, most of my work is actually in our early childhood music classes. We're based in the eastern suburbs in Sydney. And in more recent times, I've actually moved down to the south coast. And so I'm based in Sydney and the south coast with my music program. So the recordings are born out of that experience of early childhood music education and my classes and born out of my experience with young children. And so all of the content really comes from my interactions in the classes with my little ones. I think you can hear that particularly in the first album I love to play because a lot of those songs you um, very different, uh, very um, musically different to uh, Watermelon or the second album um, in, in the sense that you can hear that they are songs to be sang in front of a child with children in mind. The lyrically it's quite repetitive, not simple, but you know, they, they are created in that notion that there are 20 children in front of you and you're just kind of creating an atmosphere. Was that a little bit not problematic or tricky when it came to recording? Because I guess the risk is you sort of want to keep it, you want to keep it honest, honest to the original show or the, the, or the original classes, but at the same time, you can't help yourself. You want to add bits and pieces and make them a bit more theatrical. Yes, look, there certainly is um, a difference in how music plays out in our classes because the music is all live Mm. and it's not actually a performance, it is a class. And so uh, we are led by the children often with the lyric content and our music grows organically in a class experience. But what I wanted to do was capture that. If we're speaking of the first album, Mm. which is I Love to Play, 
and yes, so they're very, very different albums. But that experience of the class, then how does that translate into a recording? And so I needed to have something that I think would be, I thought would be marketable <laughs> and of a quality that people would actually Yeah, enjoy of course. And you can't always get that in a live experience with children when it's a class, mm. not, not, not a performance, but a class. And so it was a matter of saying, well, this is the experience that we have in a class. This is what we're doing with the children. It's their music. And I just needed to have a moment of time to record that as it was at that point. Um, but because of the, um, the elements of an early childhood program, I felt that there were certain things that should be preserved, hmm. uh, things like um, the pitch, the, the arrangements are very much guided by um, my philosophy and the way I feel about early children's um, music hmm. um, and the way we use certain percussion, for example, or echoes or responses or the traditional things that are there when we sing with children, leaving places for them to sing. Yeah, because um, there's an extraordinary amount of brevity in that first album. There's a lot of space to walk through each song, which um, which I assume was intentional because there are moments when you clearly just get a bit excited and you just go, I want to do a song. So you step out a little bit and, and you know, and again, it's, it all works, but then all of a sudden, um, you you find yourself hearing a song that you go okay well that was much bigger than what just came before um but it is definitely feels like it's it's almost like you sort of getting a bit excited about the idea of recording as well and and it, it is just such a different field um so i'll just mention if i may benny that mm. Um, I Love to Play is uh, that little album is mostly focused on ukulele playing. Mm -hmm. And because of that um, ukulele pre-COVID time, ukulele playing was uh, quite a big feature of the early childhood classes. Mm -hmm. And particularly because of the nature of the um, the open tuning of a ukulele being able to marry quite well with little pentatonic ditties and songs and then very young children being able to play that for themselves by just plucking the open strings. That was kind of at the heart of that album, the ukulele experience. Mm. And so many of the songs are just in C or A minor because mm. that's in fact the sound. But what I wanted to do was to arrange those songs, even though they were in C and A minor, um, very mm. simple. I wanted to still arrange them with uh, quality, quality music and lovely, lovely instruments and solos so that um, even though children were playing a very simple song, they were playing a real song that sounded beautiful. And so that's why um, those little songs are there. There's other little songs like um, Can You See Me, I'm Walking, which are based entirely on just two notes. Yeah, it's beautiful, that song. I, I, I yeah. yeah, there's something, there's something. I, I quite, I have a habit of, of just stacking my music to the point where you you can't see the tree for the forest. It's just there's so much going on. And, and I do admire this idea of being able to really have space, I guess, in, in the sound. And, and um, you know, I, fe I felt that in... Um, yeah, and, and so Orf influenced me a lot in that. So the children were playing little ostinato on the bars, which are the sounds you hear, dom, 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 dom. Yep. And so then just your tempo and your rhythm variation. Can you see me? I am running. Can you see me? I am running. I love to run, 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 run everywhere. Oh, 
moments like we belong together, which you get to just kind of, I guess, shake it all off and go, hey, I'm just going to bring out a number here. It's just going to be a big, fun number. Um, was that, I guess, because obviously that that kind of thing is a precursor to, even though we had to wait five years for the second album, I mean, at least it's a bit of a precursor to you kind of, I guess, realising a bigger, a bigger, more profound, not profound, sorry, but a, a larger, more um, ambitious kind of tune. Um, when you're recording the first album, I Love to Play, I mean, was it was it just, you're in a studio, you're recording, I guess you can't help yourself, really, can you? You sort of just want to go, hey, look, well, this, I'm very this is very so different to what I can do in class. My daughter's yeah. a violinist, and um, so I, I, I wrote the violin part in that, a bit of a country vibe. One of my dear friends, Bill, great guitarist, and so we wanted the twang and we wanted all the fun of that vibe. Mm. However, that little song can still be played in just C and A minor, so basically a one-finger chord song. Mm. So even though the song is loads of fun and we've got the children's grouping to sing it in the studio and there's lots of twang and it's got great guitar work, it's basically just those two chords. So yeah. as an introduction to ukulele playing, it was just how it sort of grew. It started as a, started life as a very simple little song, but the capacity for simple songs to be adorned with a lovely fun arrangement. Yeah, sure. That's kind of how it worked. Um, the Western... Which yeah, I was about I was about to bring up that. Who's who's that singing? <laughs> who's singing on the Western? Who's that? So that's myself and my friend Bill, and Bill, he has yeah. an extraordinary bass voice. And so we actually introduced him as the bass, but it was actually really just remote from the rest of the vocals. It was mm. so low. So we doubled him with an octave. Yeah. Um, and he's the cowboy. And so Bill does this great twang with guitar. Mm. Um, I'm singing, playing ukulele, and then. Um, yeah, Bill's brother Simon actually did all the harmonica. So it's all live. Yeah, yeah, of course. Way, way too much fun. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say he's he's um, Bill's got an impeccable cowboy voice, really, doesn't he? It's like <laughs> superb. Is is he American or has he just got a really a, an unnatural gift at sounding like one? Um, Bill is as Aussie as you and I. <laughs> and- wow, because that's quite a gift. I mean, usually you could pick it when someone's giving it a you know clearly making it up, but he's he's pretty. He's pretty good. He's great. He's a yeah. great, great friend. And uh, when we had the Yuka Baby fifth birthday, which was five years ago now, um, we had a big live event in Bondi and um, Bill himself, the cowboy, came. Well, I wear my hat and my riding boots. I'm a cowboy. Swing my rope up in the air. I'm a cowgirl riding on my horse, riding all day. Yippee, I know. Yippee, I why I wanted to talk about I Like to Play is because um, there was so much of it. I mean, I really personally just fell in love with that so that album from the perspective of an early childhood teacher as well. It was very that Gary and Carol Kreese thing where, where it just really, I just love the space that existed in, in that whole album. I love being able to walk through things like that. Um, 
I guess, emotionally to be able to, you know, drift through the sounds. Um, and as I said, you know, We Belong Together, it gave us these little hints that there was things that you wanted. There were bigger things that potentially, not bigger, you know what I mean, a bit more exquisite things. So then, of course, we move on to Watermelon Jazz, which is five years later. So before we go into anything, why five years? Well, I, I guess I... I haven't seen that recording has been the bigger part of my work Hmm. because my focus is on teaching. Um, It's just that um, we had some unusual circumstances during the COVID period when I wasn't teaching because normally I'm really busy with teaching and I simply don't have time um, and the money. Hmm. So COVID turned turned us all on our head. Hmm and set me on quite a different path which um which op- yeah which opened up another opportunity and um so yeah so watermelon jazz has come out of that and i'd love to tell you about it yeah because you you have mentioned before and i did read a bit about it it's, it's quite a it's quite a um I wouldn't even say a beautiful story. I would say it's a bit more of a serendipitous kind of had to be made kind of story, like everything just aligned. I mean, you know, my question was why five years? But then I look at how this album came about and it felt like it was never going to happen under any other circumstances. This was the perfect storm for it to all come together and do. So, yeah, by all means, talk us through because it's quite it's quite a fascinating little Sorry to the listeners. It's not little. It's quite a fascinating, humongous, big, in-depth story. Go. (laughs) It's a lovely story. And for our listeners, um, yeah, uh, there's a few little parts. I'll I'll try not to bang on too much about it, Benny. That's my job. My job, I'll cut you off. (laughs) Enough, time's up. Next question. (laughs) Go. So, of course, in Australia here we were impacted enormously by the – the summer, the black summer, the bushfires. And this was just pre-COVID, just. And my um, my youngest daughter, Bridget O'Donnell, she's a violinist and um, she was studying her master's in London at the time and was over, like all Aussie girls in London, they get to the winter and it's pretty bleak. So they're mm. home for the summer holidays, which was just a nightmare for us all because here we were at the south coast. Yes. And, um, I'll play some fire. That's right. And because my family is here at the South Coast, um, when Bridget returned home, it was actually over the New Year's Eve Mm. night. Um, And she didn't know when she got off the plane at Heathrow if her grandma and uncle's home and and all of the homes down here were in fact burnt down and if her grandma was okay. They were in the evacuation centre at Batemans Bay and we're extremely grateful because Mm. they were okay and in fact their homes were preserved however Bridget was really deeply moved by this and wanted to do something so she set about with another um, Aussie over there um, Lottie Betstein she's an opera singer based in in, um, Germany but the two of them got together and they decided to host um, create and host a benefit concert for the bushfire victims back at home. Beautiful. So because Bridget was then a student at our Royal Academy of Music, um, they were wonderfully supportive of, uh, of Bridget and Lottie and um, they did, in fact, help them and put, they put together a remarkable performance. So all Aussie music, all Aussie musicians over there in the UK and close by in Europe, they all actually supported this. Wow. That's amazing. um, Yeah, it was really spectacular. Now, this was um, during January and early February. She was planning this event and 
keeping us all informed. And um, my husband, Don, and myself, and a few other family members um, in Australia and around the world, we decided to surprise them and actually go over for the concert because we were so filled wow. with their effort and we wanted yeah. to really, I guess, endorse that and, and show them that how much it meant to us. Yeah, and also after after an incredibly busy couple of months, it was probably nice just to get away as well. <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, there we were. And in the background we'd heard about this thing called COVID coming out of China and we hadn't really given it that much thought, but the concert was actually held in the last week in February and it was spectacular. Mm. And it was there at the concert that I had met um, for the first time Bridget's London, Brid- Bridget's partner. Bridget's London partner, as opposed to to Australian partner, but yes, go. So so when she went to London, she found this wonderful man, and his name is Misha Mulevabado, and um, and we'd we'd met him over the phone and on on, you know FaceTime, but I actually met him in the in flesh and found that um, Misha and I were sitting together at this benefit concert, and he'd actually done an arrangement for orchestra and full choir for uh, the song I Am Australian, which Mm. was the finale of the concert. And Misha and I were sitting there and enjoying it together, and the thought occurred to me. Gosh, I wonder whether I'd ever be so lucky to work with Misha. But I just kind of didn't let that grow any further. Look at all the things we can do With something that's old, we make it new Let's play together, me and you We'll take some cardboard boxes and make something Um, Australia went into lockdown. Mm. So that's the first little part of the story. Yeah. I met Misha and um, there we all were in Australia, in London, everybody's in lockdown. We're all trying to find our way. Work dried up because for me, early childhood. Yeah. Green. Absolutely. Green the ideal. The, the, the Zoom classes had a very limited yeah. benefit. And so I began to notice that our families that were in the Yuka baby family in Sydney, they were really making these huge adjustments and really having a hard time mm. because everybody was trying to discover how to work from home, mm. what to do with the children at home. It was, you know, I mean, we've all been impacted by that and we all know all of a sudden we were in very small spaces with mm. children and I began to wonder how music could really be a helpful tool for our families. Mm. So I was doing Zoom classes. I started doing a lot of little um, videos and putting them up on Facebook, on the Yuka Baby Facebook page for families, just to have little... little um, yeah, respite. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Baby, baby, I love you. on and of course we had no classes and I was the fortunate recipient of the New South Wales Small Business Assistance Grant 
And I thought, you know what, if everything goes down the toilet, I want to use this $10,000 in a really productive way, Benny. Mm. I really want mm. this to show and have an enduring legacy. So I thought maybe I'll, now that I've got the time, maybe I'll um, make another children's album. Yeah, great. So um, Misha and I, in the um, months between sort of June, uh, uh, when we got back and then uh, June, we'd actually worked on one small children's project, just one little single um, for a friend, and he was so lovely to work with. Anyway, I, I, I messaged Misha and Bridget and I said, um, I've got this $10,000. <laughs> like I'd like to write and record a new children's album. You're, you guys are in lockdown, you're out of work, or mm. would you like to work together? And I think this is what you were saying before. It was the perfect storm of mm. unusual circumstances. Yeah, that absolutely. So there we were, and we were noticing that there were musicians all around the world who were opening up their homes and their lounge rooms, doing Zoom yeah. concerts and little lounge room concerts. Even, you know, there was, you know, um, you know, Jimmy Barnes singing to mm. us with his family from his lounge room and weren't we loving it? And Vicar mm. and Linda and mm. all these wonderful Australian Australian musicians and, and giving us joy. And I thought, well, look, in my little world, I mm. wonder whether I can just create a bit of joy. Yep. So um, I spoke with Misha and Misha is a really remarkable musician. He had classical training. But in his, um, you know, more adult years, he's been um, focusing on jazz. But he can pretty much yeah, write, sure. write, perform, play anything you like. He's just yep. one of those amazing guys. So um, I, I was discussing with him some ideas for the album and I said, Mish, what about jazz? And, of course, that's his thing. Um, so that was that little part of the story. So... The other little tiny side note is that we were hearing snippets of information from the Spanish flu epidemic a hundred years mm. ago. And I got to be just thinking about this and thinking about I wonder how families managed, I wonder what they were going through compared to what we are going through, was it really much different? And as a music educator I was thinking, oh, I wonder, I wonder what people did. Yeah. Before I looked into it, of course, I'm, I'm learning that, of course, as we all know, jazz was this emerging music in America at the time. And when people were coming out of lockdown, they were using jazz because jazz was so full yeah. of new ideas and these elements of, mm. of improvisation and fun and the call and response and these wild solos, you know, improvisation. And I guess it was kind of very much music of the people in a way, wasn't it? Like, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was available to anyone, anywhere. Absolutely. Very accessible mm. with singable melodies mm. and, you know, um, uh, repetition, unlike, you know, a more conservative constructed um, a music that could be perhaps of a classical nature. Yeah. So I, I was just interested in this idea and um, I, I do love jazz, but the what was so remarkable and so such a blessing and an amazing opportunity for me was to then work alongside Misha and we collaborated mm. together um, that I knew that I would have access to these amazing musicians in Misha's band. Mm. Now, that's just not an opportunity mm. every day, particularly yeah. for early childhood music. So even though yeah. I do play quite a number of instruments and I've already got, you know, a, a, an album in I Love to Play, 
this then gave me the opportunity to think, I wonder how this music could be different. And mm. I was particularly thinking about bringing joy at a multi-generational level, you know, to grandparents, to children, to their parents and aunties and, and everybody who might be stuck together, you know, in this COVID era. And I thought, let's give it a shot. It's easy to be kind if I make up my mind to think about somebody else. It's not. And we discussed how risky this was because, um, you know, 3% of the population are avid jazz listeners. <laughs> And so you kind of go, okay, yeah. that's a risk. <laughs> yeah, and 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 50% tell everyone that they are and then the other 50 and then the other 43% have no idea what, you know, what's going so, on. Um, so the risk was always there. Um, but when we speak about jazz and the way Watermelon Jazz and the album is configured, it's it's not really niche jazz. It's really happy. Everything. No, it's still desperately accessible. Like it's not. It's it's you know you don't you don't need fifteen degrees to be able to keep up with it. But um, but but so I guess the thing the the big thing that I hear from all of that is is you really did consciously step away. I mean, the thing about um the first album is you you were still very much in the in the land of your educational program, whereas this you actually really quite consciously and happily just went, I'm shelving that. This is going to be an album that's just unique on its own and has, stands for a different type of thing. Yes, I, I think you, you, you've you nailed it there. It was a massive departure. Mm. There were still important principles that informed my songwriting, but in this instance um, what that meant was that I needed to write the children's songs but with jazz in mind. So I wrote everything thinking, well, this will be a sax solo, this will be a trumpet solo, this will be a, an improvisation. Mm. And so so that meant that the writing process was informed by, by different elements and ideas. And so um, one of the joys of lockdown was having more time and then I actually set up a little home studio. I was living yep. in Sydney then, and... Um, <laughs> For a nana like me, I learned how to start using a digital audio workstation, which is yep. quite fantastic <laughs> for me. And um, I couldn't even go and do a course in it because nothing was open. Yeah, know, of so. course. Yeah, so I mean I nowadays anything digital, it's all on YouTube anyway. I mean, I think right. I think That's you know. <laughs> so I had to set about learning all about that, and um, that was it was a great opportunity mm. to really learn some new skills. I had thought about learning to bake some bread, but I thought, nah. Um, no, I think I think look, and I think the truth of it is, you can walk down the road and buy a loaf of bread if you if you need it. Whereas you can't walk down the road and get someone to record your own songs for five dollars. You know, I think that's it's right, that's right. if I had to measure the skills and what's what's probably good money saving device, learning how to record your own songs probably pretty 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 up there. It was pretty wild, and um, it was a great great um, you know opportunity for me to learn new things. So anyway, what I did then. Um, uh, Misha and I really started working together, you know, the joys of, you know, I didn't even know what a Zoom meeting was, of course, then, and, and we were having, you know, weekly. <laughs> I think 80% of the world had no idea what a Zoom meeting was back then. And now and, I was like. And what it meant was that Misha and I could just work so closely together. And mm. he really is a marvellous human because not only is he is this exceptional musician, mm. 
he's very generous hearted and very um, open so that he was able to really take on board the mm. childhood elements that were vital to me and marry that together with his vast experience and the musical level that he's at and bring that together. So how, how did the process go? Because obviously you have an extent. I mean, firstly, I guess, how liberating was it to be able to extend yourself beyond C and A minor? I mean, well, was... was <laughs> was that that must have been terribly nice? Because um, I do actually play ukulele on one track in this album. Yep. Good night, Teddy song. Um, and I'd actually written that to enjoy with some of my ukulele students. And it's such a little sweetie that um, I thought, look, I would like to put Good Night, Teddy in, in this album because it's got a really fun, bluesy sort of vibe. At the end of the day, when it turns into night and the moon is shining and the stars are bright then it's time to say good night to my teddy to my teddy good night teddy to my teddy at the end i then said about writing all of the material during the winter school holiday break of July um, and writing everything with jazz in mind. Having said that, it's not every track, of course, is jazz. We yeah. have a beautiful lullaby. Yeah, there's definitely steps away, yeah. That's right. My daughter's a, a violinist, as I've mentioned, and so we were able to bring in some more, um, shall we say, classical ideas Elements, and arrangements. Yep. Yeah, and so the very last track, which is a bit unusual, is... Um, more of a ballad with some classical, you know, overtones there. And um, that's, of course, Season's Child. I'll just mention there are two tunes that I didn't write. And um, Season's Child, the last track on Watermelon Jazz, is one of those tunes. It's actually a tune of an old Scottish folk song called Car the Yars. And I'd never heard of it in Australia. And when I mentioned a few moments ago about these wonderful musicians worldwide that were sharing their music from their lounge rooms, um, there was a string quartet in the UK that I listened to and, and I really enjoyed their performance, their lounge room performance. And it was actually the friends of my daughters in, in London. Yeah. And that's the Solemn Quartet. And I really, really loved their beautiful quartet arrangement of this little folk song, Car the Yowls, which is kind of played in pubs around the UK and it's a bit of a bit of a troubadour sort of style ballad. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, I thought... I haven't heard that. What an exquisite little melody. And so because we were going through these, it's a parallel to the four seasons of the year, we were going through these seasons in our life with COVID and lockdown, you know, yeah. four seasons in one day, I thought I'd love to write a song about the experience of 12 months in, in COVID lockdown yeah. and, and what that was. And in the life of a child, the metaphor Mm. Is is the four seasons that we go through, and then yeah. and the parents are looking back. It's a little melancholy. It's a little, you know, sad. They're looking okay. back over that year, and they're saying, "Oh, my little ones, just growing so much, and mm. how much I love them." So that was the lyric idea. So anyway, um, the other song that I'd that I didn't write the tune for is um, the song. It's a little country number. And it's called Sing Together, and that's the tune of the old folk song Little Liza Jane. Yep. And we've actually used this in classes. So it's a little bit of a, 
um, it goes back to a little bit of that idea of I loved from I love to play. One of the songs that we'd used there. Yeah, sure. And then, and then I did bring that back. Yeah. With with this, like, because because obviously when doing this second album, you found yourself like you, you've said you've articulated very beautifully that you you found yourself surrounded by these uh, really extraordinary players and and skills and and um you know these incredibly heartwarming and generous people giving giving their their talents to help you on this project. How did you go? I guess a two part question: handing over, relinquishing almost responsibility to your numbers, handing them to someone else and going, hey, knock yourself out. And B, when you're often around people, and this is me personally, if, if I'm around somebody that I'm in really desperate awe of, I tend to just sit back and go, yes, it's all amazing and forget to kind of get in there and and, and ensure that my original voice is heard. Um, Any yes, 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 <laughs> you are so in my heart. So, um I was creating all of the demos at home and I did them to the best of my ability and they were really um, quite comprehensive, you know, mm. rings and horns, even though I'm not a horn player. Yeah, of course, and you can still write it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I arranged it all, and it was all digital, and then um, really pretty comprehensive because I wanted to give Misha a very clear understanding of my sure. intention. Yep. And so this is the joy of working with somebody like Misha who is who I completely trust. Who I completely can I can place myself in his very capable hands, but his very generous heart, and we can work together on this. And so, when we had our weekly production meeting, I'd be um, discussing elements, and we would discuss, you know, great detail things like why a tempo was the way it, you know, why I set a mm. tempo. And Misha might say, "Well, let's look at this rhythm change or this tempo change, or why I wanted a certain key for a particular feel." So we yep. really in in our preparation before I handed it over so completely, we would be discussing some of these things. So anyway, then I had to be incredibly brave. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, absolutely. I had to send it all off to Misha yeah. and go, "Oh my goodness, I hope he likes it." Mm. Yeah, and, and it's also, I, I remember one of the producers, um, a, a, a gentleman I worked with, um, and he said to me, he just introduced me to the concept of demoitis, and I'd never really heard it before, but as soon as he explained it to me, it made total sense, is this idea that you're so accustomed to the way that you've created it and you've listened to it that when you do put it into the next stage where you wittingly invite people into to then add their bits, it does, I mean, unless you're really constructing it yourself, it really does take a lot of courage to really just go, you know, I have to believe in that process. A, you're affectionate. B, you are brave. C, you're courageous and clever. D, you're determined and that's okay. E, you're engaging in so many ways. That's what I think. For you personally, how do you find that? How do you, how do you get or develop or where is that line for you where you go, hey, I really love that. Can we not quite do it like that? Can we do it like this? And then where's the other thing you're going, you know what? This has been a suggestion from someone who really knows what they're talking about. And it's not what I would do. 
but I've got to trust that they kind of, you know. You've nailed it on the head absolutely exquisitely, Benny, because it was that toing and froing. So in the back of my mind all the time, well, actually, this is a privileged position that I can Mm. hand my work over to somebody and trust their first listening, their their critical Mm. listening, listening because, um, and you you have to be, there's a sense of self-preservation, but there's also a sense of, you know, if I value my craft, I need it to be. I need to be really objective about this, and I need to have people who know more or know differently to then help me to really be even more objective. And and that's actually a growing process. And yeah, because I because I trust Misha with my music, and because he is really so generous and so kind. I I felt terrified but at the same time very comfortable yeah and sure so we did have such a wonderful working <laughs> he's, relationship yeah he's he's also dating your daughter so he's he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna be incredibly nice to you joe just just so we're clear just so we're very clear on that <laughs> he's so we're clear yes you he's are. gonna he's gonna be very kind <laughs> I sent all these demos off to Misha and uh, when they were downloading over WeTransfer, I messaged Bridget and I said, Bridget, I've done it. I've sent them to Misha. I need you to be brutally honest with me and tell me exactly mm. what Misha says. Yeah, good call. Yeah, because... you will lie to me because I'm the mother-in-law. <laughs> I am terrified and um, my heart has just been sent on that wire. Wow. So she said, Mum... Misha's on a train. He's listening right now. He's just messaged me. Your mum's work is awesome. I love this album. And honestly, that was a little breakthrough moment. And I know that Bridget wouldn't lie to me. And I know that Misha wouldn't lie to Bridget. So I did take some comfort in that. What a beautiful, what a beautiful notion though that you can you I think I think particularly in any kind of creative pursuit, if I can call it that, I, I guess still finding yourself in a position where you can feel quite nervous around other musicians and play I think that's kind of something really lovely like I think I think there's something really nice that you exist in a world where you still can find yourself with that with that butterfly sensation because because it is that you know I don't think it is fear it feels like fear but in the same way it feels like fear is when you're about to walk on stage it's got that element of like I do trust it's okay, and really, if they don't like it, at the heart of it, I I think for what I want to do, it's good. So it's okay for them not to like it, but at the same time, I really want them to like it. Like it's kind of. Yeah, I know, and it it is interesting because my little world is quite small and quite quirky. You know, here Mm. I'm a childhood music educator, and you think that's far away from one of the UK's leading emerging jazz talents. (laughs) And and, and I actually found, to my delight and surprise, that this, in fact, is is not Misha's first children's project. And I hadn't known that. Yeah, right, okay. He actually worked with a guitarist friend and uh, um, who became a father and all of a sudden wanted to create a children's album. So that's just, that yeah. album is pretty quirky, pretty quirky. <laughs> it's called It's a Boonie by Rena, Rena 
it's got a wonderful German name, I can't remember, but the album is called It's a Bunny. And I'll tell you what, so Misha did, Misha collaborated with Raina and they've done this great kids album. Yeah. So I felt very comfortable that Misha was gracious to, to work alongside me in, in a children's project. Mm-hmm. I had that. Now, um, so then we set about the nitty gritties of then working through those demos Mm. and Misha just pulled them to pieces and um, said I love this I think this would work I'd like a sax solo there and not there and I Mm. said I'm fine I'm absolutely fine there were one or two Songs, one or yeah. two points isn't that yeah. bad. That's pretty good. Not too bad, Benny. Yeah, and that's pretty we, good. Um, Misha was absolutely insistent about one thing, and I'd say, "Can you just leave it with me?" <laughs> <laughs> because because we're not just friends; we're going to be relatives. Yeah. As well. so like you, yeah. you've got yeah. you've got to live after the album's done. Yeah, exactly. Oh, just Misha. and just so we're clear, just leave it with me means don't ask me about it anymore let's leave it as it is okay so anyway next song spinning around and then i slow down but again i had to remind myself that i had handed my music over to misha and what he did then was so he took my arrangements and he my my demos rather and he arranged it for his band and they were yep. all in lockdown. They're, everybody's in ice. Everybody's, you know, all, all over the UK. They're all in lockdown. But because they all have their own home studios, yeah, of course. What Misha was able to do this. This is the process you asked me about. So he would take, say, my maybe my vocal and keyboard track, or vocal and bass track, or whatever, and then just make a little, you know, bed track, and then they would all record independently their mm. own tracks. So in terms of the budget, I'd said, well. I want Watermelon Jazz to be the opening track and the title track. Mm. And what I would like is big band. So we're going to allocate the budget over 12 tracks, most of the budget. (laughs) I don't mind going there (laughs) because I want a really big band. I I want children to experience the joy of, of, you know, just having that great sound. And it makes everybody so happy, that sound. And so... um, yeah, so we did have to discuss, obviously, there were some budget restraints, but um, really at the heart of it, what I wanted was um, quality music, just the highest end possible musicianship and recording and performance. It's, you said before, I mean, and you've mentioned several times, you know, you know, I want this to be as good as it can be for children. And I guess that does bring up a thing <clears throat> that only early childhood people might quite realise is that idea that it's a really, you you either work with children or you don't. It's kind of that simple. And trying, how can I ask this? You know, there, it is a tricky thing when you do hand, again, go back to the idea of handing your music over to someone and, and musically having the confidence to step back and go, look, Hey, it's, it's all yours. But at the same time, you're also having to go, but just so you know, I'm the one that knows children. And yes, that sounds wonderful, but here's what we also need to be thinking of. Was that was was that there for this album or did it all just come together pretty nicely? Um, no, that was definitely something that Misha and I did have to talk about a lot as we were going along. And this is a part of our collaboration because mm. there are two different worlds that we're meeting here. And mm. so it was very important 
that um, Misha left me a lot of space to say this is an important. So with the lullaby, for example, um, uh, my little baby, uh, um, I wrote that on a keyboard, and so um, you know, with a piano background with the bass line. Um, but actually, I really wanted that to feature not just the strings on the piano, but acoustic guitar. And Misha just couldn't, didn't know why. And I said, well, traditionally mm. lullabies are often sung only with voice or maybe in the early childhood, you know, we're thinking of Patsy Bisco or whatever. Yeah, of course. A little bit of a guitar background. Mm. And so I said, I, I do want guitar. And so Misha was very happy then to factor in mm. nylon string guitar into that arrangement. I had to say to myself, well, even if the band is going to be this big and this amazing, we can always pull elements out of that if we needed to. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Know, in the mixing process or whatever. But but again, Misha's arrangements were so um, good and he had a very clear picture based well, on my demos. He uh, really did know what. what yeah, and I kind of touched on it at the start. The sound, the sound is very big, but but it's also really gentle as well. That was the thing that I kind of struck, and I think that's probably more to do with the mixing process. But I, but I did find myself going, I feel like this sh- should sound bigger, mm. but it for some reason still makes me feel kind of calm. Yes. <laughs> like, and, and so, but yeah. I feel like it should be blowing my head off a bit, but I don't yeah. feel that way, you know. Look, I agree with you. And so, in the preparation, then we would discuss certain elements like tempos mm. and like how crowded and how busy and how loud what the band is compared to vocals. And we had lots of discussion when we got to mixing stage mm. about that exact thing because, at the heart of it, it's a children's album. Yeah. And so they were definitely um, elements, you know, and ideas and things that came up as we were working through it. Um, and interestingly enough, it was mastered um, in Wales at Hafford Mastering. Love it. And um, Misha wouldn't use anybody else. Best he reckons in the UK. So I'm going, okay, <laughs> we're there, we're in Wales. Sure, fine, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. And uh, it was interesting because even the guy that was mastering and Misha had different ideas mm. about... Uh, the, the the levels for mm. vocals because it's a children's album because in jazz absolutely yeah in jazz particularly vocals really aren't often up the band mm. really is louder so yeah you know this was even things like that did certainly come up absolutely yeah I, I often find the the constant um, discussion I have to have with any producer or, or anyone is, is is usually the reverb you go look i love the reverb but we've got to lose it because it's it's just makes the lyrics a bit too hard to hear and then that's no good once once you've lost the lyrics the child's lost they're not gonna you know they'll dance around for a minute but if it's not speaking to them they're not going to really pick up on the song so with, um, with songs like watermelon jazz this mm. actually was um uh, another little song, a little ditty that actually came out of the Yuka Baby program. And uh, it was a song that I'd written. Um, Cara, one of the Yuka Baby teachers, uh, she's in Sydney, um, and she's actually the um, the vocalist on two tracks, Watermelon Jazz and Boxes. So oh, really? Okay. She's part of the Yuka Baby teachers. Yeah. Team. 
She's a lovely, lovely vocalist, Cara, very, very natural mm. singing quality. And um, uh, Cara was holidaying in Hawaii and, and brought home some little novelty ukuleles that were shaped and looked, looked like a watermelon. watermelon. <laughs> so we wrote this little song called um, Yummy Watermelon. And um, as I mentioned, discussing it with Misha, I said, well, we'll change the name to Watermelon Jazz. But the children were singing that and that lends itself in classes to all different rhythm ideas. So, you know, watermelon, watermelon, strawberry, plum. Yeah. You can, you know, all the games that come out of those things. So it was a nice little idea. Yummy watermelon, watermelon, juicy and sweet. Watermelon, I just love to eat. Watermelon, watermelon, yum, yum, yum. sings that the song boxes i was gonna yeah i was gonna ask boxes because that's a real departure that one that's a real step away yeah we have a big focus on percussion in our Mm. boxes and i really love the use of percussion which is incredibly prevalent in the first album i mean that is a very percussive album yeah i really love percussion um we use percussion in every class of course um and uh um so the drummer is um scott chapman a really really amazing drummer and um and to his delight he was able to really indulge in a lot of percussion and and i'd recorded the percussion (laughs) in the demo as well so it was a lot of fun loads of fun so the song itself boxes actually was a song that i'd used during covid when i was doing some zoom classes and children at home didn't have all the range of instruments Mm. just actually did a term where we were simply yeah making yeah yeah great you know, Beautiful. tapping, banging, hiding, stacking, falling down, counting up, counting down, and all of that. So that's where boxes came from. <laughs> that's why percussion's so beautiful in an early childhood setting because it's immediate, it's anything, yeah. and it's musical. And you can, you know, and I think it's an element people often overlook. Um, I've just got a couple more questions for you, Joe. I do uh, greatly appreciate the time. Um, because it's they're just such beautiful albums. I mean, I was generally, yeah, I was quite. Um, I didn't really know what to expect, to be totally honest with you. And I, and I think I, I must say, I really fell in love with the first album. I, I think as a as an early childhood teacher, <clears throat> just personally, I just kind of I just went, oh, this is just so speaks to me so loudly. It's such a beautiful album. Yeah, it's so warm. Yeah. yeah, it's just great. Um. So there's a, there's a quote on your website by uh, Carl Orff, who you mentioned earlier, and you and he says in it that it's um, which you know which is in in your philosophy on your website, and it says since the beginning of time, children have not liked to study; they would much rather play. And if you have their interests at heart, you will let them learn while they play. They will find that what they have mastered is child's play. Now. I guess, I mean, realistically, this just embraces the notion of, of learning through play and it's that whole idea of that's where children are their most um, open and they're, they're most um, almost intellectually vulnerable, I guess, uh, the vulnerability to learning new things. How do you try to, does that play into the music you create? And let's just step away from the 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 musical experiences that you ran for children and actually look at the recording process because it it is a very different type of thing. And and I do, and I hear quite a lot of stories of early childhood people when they, when they move into the recorded field, 
that they try to really adhere to the things that they might be doing as, as a teacher. And it, they are two very different fields. And you either have to do two things. You either have to really make a, make the effort to somehow satisfy your teacher persona or, or what you believe, or you also, or you have to go, you know what? It, it, that's not here. This is a different type of thing. This can be arguably just entertainment for children and families. I guess I can see it in the first album because that's direct representation of what you're doing in in an in with an audience anyway, or not an audience, but with a, with a with a with a group of children. What about the second album? I mean, did, did you? Was it a case of really? I, I guess how did, how did you marry all of that together? Yes, so it it is a departure. Um, so from a pedagogical sense, even so, because the songs aren't all pentatonic. It, it is oh, very- sorry. I feel like I need a need some sort of a trumpet or or a bell or something because you're the first person I've interviewed in five years that's used used the term uh, pedagogy. So there you go. Yes. Congratulations. So the process of learning in the classroom, you know, we we do have an an ideal and an optimal way that we can set up Mm. that learning environment and that's based on our our philosophy of education or our educational approach, our experience, our study. So for me then, there are a few elements in Watermelon Jazz. So I mentioned um, boxes. So Mm. that's got a very playful approach to it with building up and stacking down of boxes, hiding in boxes, and watermelon jazz also in the way Mm. that there was certainly a very playful element there with that song as the way I remember it in in classes, the way we use it in classes. But it is true that it is quite a departure. So when I've written the songs and I wrote them in all the other songs in that fortnight period, so quite a condensed little hole that I went into my music room and just didn't come out until I'd written them all, Uh, well, you know, pretty much. And so um, to me I'm thinking how is this music going to bring joy to people? Mm. So I did have a different focus. And, but it's um, still the same philosophy in a way, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is, but it was for me I wanted to have bring the joy of a shared musical experience mm. for people who were stuck at home in lockdown. Mm. I wanted people to feel the joy of improvisation. You know, I wanted people, children to be exposed to the wonderful sounds of jazz and to find great a, a great place to hide and a great release for them mm. in that. So, for example, the little song Toddler is this got this crazy sax solo all the way mm. you know, through. Mm. Um, and that was actually born out of my son's experience. My son and his wife live in Bangkok and they had two little boys and then a third on the way. So there they are with three little boys now mm. and locked down trying to work from home. And this incredible, yeah, this this what we're all all of energy, yeah. And so, so the songs that I'd written that was just a little ode to toddlerhood and mm. the energy and the joy and the effervescence of toddler life. And again, that can be quite playful. So I'm hoping that I'm answering your question: How does play and the importance of play marry into these little songs? They are about children. They're for children, and they're born out of my experience with the children. It's not the same aesthetic as I love to play, where we've got children singing. You know, um, those little ditties mm, that you hear mm. on that album. But still, they are little children's songs, and I, I guess my purpose has been a bit different. 
playful it's it's the philosophy of it because because learning through play is more about the playfulness state of mind rather than necessarily the uh, physically playing aspect it's about where is your mind in in amongst these experiences and are, are you in the construct of having to retain memory and and knowledge and so on and so forth or are you just are you just engaging in the process of that stuff and the learning is coming naturally from, from that engagement? And, and, you know, look, I I think, you know, that answers my questions beautifully. I mean, I I think that the the philosophy is there at the heart of it. There is, there is an element of playfulness and it does embrace the idea. um, Yeah. It embraces the idea that you need, you've got to be in a certain state to achieve that playfulness and to to achieve that kind of learning through that. Um, So, you know, the the song good night, Teddy, if I may, mm -hmm. is, really about that little playful time mm. of the bedtime routine. So it's mm. strictly not a lullaby, but it is about mm. when How long does it take to get a toddler to bed? I mean, you know. I still haven't ever got mine to sleep, so I don't know. <laughs> they've, they've been away for about three years, so I don't know how, yeah, how to do it. It's that, again, it's the playfulness mm. of engaging your children with music and having that lovely, playful experience of getting all the toys lined up in bed ready to go to bed, which is, in fact, just the children getting ready for bed. So, again, it's, it is it is very playful. And, you know, we've all had that experience of the children saying, can I have Teddy now? Can mm. I have Honey? Can I have my puppy? Or whatever it is. Can I have a glass of milk? Can I have a torch? Yeah. Can I have... <laughs> and so this little song is just a little playful look at that idea of getting ready for bed. Yeah. So it's a beautiful album. It's a very big step away from the first one, but obviously your life had evolved and had changed quite a lot in that time. What this, I would suspect, and correct me if I'm wrong, this would have brought about quite a large adrenaline rush hearing this completed. Um, what happens now? Because you, you had mentioned to me in previous conversations that you'd moved to the South Coast and it has kind of effectively really brought a lot of the live classes to a bit of a halt. So are you now bitten by this this studio bug? Are you going to find yourself, let's do another two weeks and write a new album and this time let's make it, let's make it acid jazz and, or let's make it <laughs> 90s, 90s dance themes. Like, you know, what's... What happens now, Joe? All right. Well, I, I guess in my <laughs> you've already started something, haven't you? I can see. Can I give much more away? I am still um, in my heart of hearts an early childhood music teacher, and we are running classes in Sydney and down here at the mm. South Coast, and that really is the heart of Yuka Baby. The albums have proven to be a wonderful adjunct to the program. Yep. And um, so I have the joy of writing the programs myself that we actually teach, and so I can incorporate the albums into that um, and so share the music that way. Um, It's interesting that Watermelon Jazz itself, because it is, I think you are correct, it is quite a departure away from um, the saturated children's music market, you know, of of Mm. a lot of... Um, there's more pop, there's more folky ukulele stuff and, you know, my first album goes a little bit in that direction. Um, It is quite a departure and perhaps people aren't expecting this. I just had a tremendous opportunity to work with those musicians. To work with sure. Alicia. So you went crazy with it. if I didn't. Yeah, crazy I if I didn't. Yeah. So look, it was a lovely idea and experiment. What I have found is that um, 
It's had a limited success to date. We had planned a live event where we'd be actually presenting the album. We still haven't been able to officially launch the album. Absolutely, we had that yeah. planned for January during the school holidays, and then we've had to postpone that to mm. a date sometime in the future mm. when we're not worrying about Omicron or now the new sub-variant of Omicron. Yeah. And we'll just have to wait till folks are happy to gather again and when it's safe to... Yeah, look, you know, I think... I think... You know, I think one of the biggest things that's been prevalent through the last couple of years is is the music community's ability to think on its feet and to change its directions. And I don't think we're out of that yet. I still think we have to wake up each day and go, that's probably not on the cards anymore. What am I going to do in exchange of that? Now, I have one more question for you, Joe, which I, I fear I'm going to ask and you're going to have to get me to explain it to you. Um, just because it's pretty left field, but we'll give it a go. Have you ever turned up to a potential show that you've been booked for and find that the audience is devastated because you're not a Kylie Minogue tribute act? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, so I haven't had that experience. Um, performance hasn't been... Um, the the mainstay of Yuka Baby. So teaching has been the mainstay. So but you do, but you know, there's a Joe Steele, there's a Joanne Steele out there who is a Kylie Minogue <laughs> tribute act. I know, I know what you're saying. Yes, uh, uh, and I googled, and I was googling your name because I I figured I just went. There's there's a much bigger history than just this. You, you you've got a whole history of music. So I thought I'd go online and find. And then there's all these. Kylie Minogue, true, and I was like going, I don't think that's the Joe I'm about to speak to. You're right. I'm not that Joe. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, yes, thankfully I haven't had that experience. Um, when the Yuka Baby family comes to um, uh, an event that we host, um, I think they pretty much know what they're expecting. <laughs> grateful for that well just 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 keep in mind if you get like a a query on your website from say like a corporate a corporate thing asking if you could come and do like a christmas show or something just just do it just future reference just double check because it's possible they're thinking they're getting uh kylie minogue uh tribute act yeah or just turn up and do it i don't know it's up to you who knows um joe thanks so much for chatting to me today it's yeah, yeah, do that. Um, they are really they're they're a real treat. Both albums. I mean, I, I think um, they 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 both are very uniquely unique, which is a ridiculous sentence, but I'm using it. Um, and a real a real pleasure to listen to. I mean, as I said, I, I kind of fell in love with. I love to play. I love watermelon. Um, jazz i really do i think it's a beautiful album but as i said from my from my early childhood heart i, I just love to play i just i could just have that on repeat for a really long time it's a, it's a very stunning album and and replay and and followed up beautifully with watermelon jazz so um thank you and we really look forward to what you decide you're going to do next and how elaborate that decision is going to be. I, I, I think that's what I'm more excited about is you're going to go, I am doing a new album and it's like this. I'll be like, excellent. This will be, this will be huge and amazing. So, um, but yeah, we appreciate uh, just giving us a bit more insight into who you are and what you do today. Thanks, Benny. It's been an absolute joy to speak with you. Thank you. 
If you'd like to know more about Jo and her fabulous work, then head along to the website at www.ukababy.com. That's U-K-U-B-E-B-E. And of course, for more Benny Time goodness, head along to www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me, Benny, asking Jo questions. Thank you.